I saw a quote the other day from an anonymous author. It was, when shifts and transitions in life shake you to the core, see that as a sign of greatness that's about to occur. With recent events and the resulting protests due to social injustice, the current movement has shaken many of us in a way that inspires us to shape a better future. In this episode, I speak to diversity and inclusion strategist Christina Smith about diversity, race, and the importance of having the ability to be exactly who we are in our work and in our world. Companies that need to be innovative and creative are going to need people to bring all of themselves to work, their best selves to work. And if they're spending a lot of time hiding who they are, it is going to be really, really difficult for them to bring their creativity, their talents, their their superpowers to work. Christina is a diversity and inclusion strategist who has worked with corporations, government, and nonprofits to facilitate conversations between frontline team members and management in order to find solutions to each organization's toughest challenges. She has hosted conversations about race, how to create more equitable workplaces, and how leaders in the C-suite can mentor women and people of color to assist in their advancement, retain them, and create inclusive environments. So, are you ready for an honest conversation about race? Let's discuss. I'm Rebecca Scott, and this is Humans Now and Then. Christina Smith, thank you for joining me. Rebecca, it's so good to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. And so I've been trying to get Christina to come on for a while because she's fabulous and has all sorts of amazing knowledge, but we also have great conversations that I'm excited to share with the listeners today. So this is an interesting time to be in your line of work. And it's an interesting time in general for the world. I feel like we've got a lot of things happening in relation to our society, huge shifts in relation to awareness of social injustice. And as a diversity and inclusion expert, I imagine that's created a lot of workload for you. But what an exciting time, but also a challenging time for your line of work. So why don't you share a little bit with the listeners some of your thoughts about some of the things that we're experiencing and, and your thoughts as an African-American woman? You know, it's really interesting because I would say right after the conglomeration of the death of Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and this incident regarding Amy Cooper, and then finally with George Floyd, it was overwhelming. It was devastating. It was depressing. It was like, it like, it was like someone took their fist and punched me in the stomach. And I literally felt like I could not breathe. I just felt like, what in the world is going on? And I went through about two to three weeks of that where I was just incapacitated. And that's not me. And I've been through a lot in my life personally. So for me to be in that place was really traumatic. And then all of a sudden, I began to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I began to hear people say, I want to change this. And people outside of my line of work and people outside of my colleagues were saying, we have to change this. Uh, If there's ever a time to change it, now is the time. What can I do? How can I help? And so that gave me great hope. And I saw so many young people. I saw a diversity like I've never seen before. 
Um, and not to say I am not taking anything away from freedom fighters that worked back in the 60s. There were it was diverse population then, but not to the extent that we have been seeing it recently. And so I think when I talked to my colleagues, uh, we were all saying the same thing. This is it. This is really a moment that we've been waiting for probably all our lives, number one. Number two, I honestly did not think I would see this in my lifetime. I did not think that we would begin to create this humongous shift like it's happening right now. So I am cautiously optimistic and ready to just dig in and do whatever needs to be done to help move this boulder. I tell people all the time in my line of work, it's like, in order to move a boulder, everyone has to push at the same time. You can't have one group or one individual saying, okay, I'm ready to push. And the rest of the people are saying, look, I need to get some water. Or I need to take a break. <laughs> I feel like right now everyone's trying to push. So that just gives me great hope. What a great analogy. I think a lot of us are feeling the same thing. This really does feel like a societal cultural shift, mm -hmm. much different than you know events of the past. And I think it's also raised awareness around some of the things that didn't get the traction that they'd had in the past. And so I can think about my own experience, for instance, with Juneteenth. I was familiar it existed. I was familiar why it existed. I was familiar that some of my friends celebrated Juneteenth, felt like it wasn't relevant to me for some reason and had that awareness all of a sudden, which was last Friday was Juneteenth. And I was, why do I not feel the need to celebrate this as well? It's just because, you know, for various reasons, society, whatever, it doesn't matter. Why did I not feel like it applied to me? I don't know. But now I raise my awareness as those things that separated us in the past, but maybe now start to bring us together and start to realize the things that I can do to make a difference. And some of it's just simply through facilitating conversations, you know, and having honest conversations. And I know you've, I, you and I have had that talk before about the importance of having honest conversations to affect real change. Yeah, and uh, absolutely. And I think part of it is, a big part of it is because when all of us were growing up, um, history was taught from a very one-sided point of view. And so there is so much that a lot of people don't know about American history as it relates to contributions that um, African Americans, Black folks have contributed. I was looking the other day, someone posted on Facebook all of the things that African-Americans built, like the first washing machine. And I mean, the list was endless. And I was like, oh my gosh, some of these I absolutely knew and some I had no clue. And so there's a lot from a historical perspective that is just absolutely fascinating. And it's absolutely appalling that people did not none of us learned when we were in school. Mm, yeah. So, you know, w where you find yourself in this place is, is probably very typical for a lot of people. Right. But what an interesting thing to, to think about making a shift or making a change, because there's been a lot more awareness, even in, you know, historical figures here in the United States, which has led to a lot of people thinking about what does it really mean about holding onto our history? And do those monuments or statues that we have out in the world do more damage than good? So those types of conversations, I think, are really important. How do we really define our past and how does that help shape our future? And I think you're right. Filling in the gaps in the history books that should have always been there 
is an important part of us thinking about what our future should look like, a more inclusive future where we think about the contributions of all. Yes, absolutely. And I think the thing that really I find fascinating is, uh, I liked what you just said, what's really critically important is for us to get to the values. What is it when we have situations like, uh, you know, Colin Kaepernick um, kneeling to demonstrate uh, about social injustice versus the American flag? What the, the people get stuck just in that imagery and are oftentimes not able to get underneath what is what is what do you value what is it that you're really saying you value so even in my own conversations i'm really trying to be very careful about using words phrases that trigger people and then you know the amygdala gets hijacked and then people can't move can't even continue the conversation i'm really trying to focus on i really want to listen to other people for the purpose of connecting with them. And then I want to um, have an opportunity to be heard, uh, not just, like I said, with trigger words. So it was very interesting. On Facebook, there's um, a white gentleman who, and you mentioned I am an uh, African-American female, um, and he and I have very different political views and views about a lot of different things, but we have a mutual, very deep respect for one another. And in the midst of when things were looking very dark, I posted on Facebook, not all lives matter. And he came at me and said, you know that I believe that all lives matter. And so we started this conversation back and forth, but I really took a deep breath and said, I, I want to have this conversation with him. And I asked some of the people who are on his page to please not come and attack me. I'd like to just have a conversation with him, but I wanted people to see this conversation between the two of us. I remember once before I made a comment, I think on his page and people really attacked me. Um, they called me all kinds of names and I was ignorant. And, I mean, just it was really, really bad. And he came to protect me. He said, look, I might think that way about some people, but I know this lady. I know her heart. I know her intention. And I please don't do this to her. So he and I started this conversation and it was really wonderful because someone chimed in and said, oh, my God, this is the kind of conversation that people should be having. And then my friend Mark and I agreed we were going to meet for lunch, uh, actually next Wednesday, to just sit and talk. Um, because I really believe that a lot of what he believes, he is really sincere in his heart. But I believe that he has been uneducated about his historical situations, things that have happened in the past. Like, I really think he's just not knowledgeable about these things. And I really don't think that he understands that there are, it's, it's, you know, I hear people say all the time, well, it's just a few bad cops or it's just a few bad people. No, there are systems in place that need to be addressed. It's not the people. I'm not saying that there aren't some bad people, but I'm just saying 
predominantly what I'm concerned about are the systems that allow people to treat people inhumanely and there's no consequence. That's what concerns me the most. Yeah, I think that's one of the things I think is one of the biggest learning for a lot of folks out of this time is the systemic problem Mm -hmm. versus the individuals. And a lot of us will try to think about individuals because inherently we're human. Right. We want to give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, people in general don't want to doubt these structures that are in place that are supposed to be there to protect us like the police, um, but not really thinking more deeply around there are too many circumstances where these inequalities exist that can be backed up by data. And so when you look at that, we know that there's a problem, a systemic problem that needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I read a really good post and I reposted it on Facebook. Um, And it was about a white female who adopted a black son. And she said uh, just the number of times that she was stopped when she was driving before her son was even driving. She had her 15-year-old son in the car. And yet a white police officer stopped her and asked her, was she okay? And she was stunned and she, he, the officer wanted not her license or registration, but the child's. And she said, the child doesn't have one, you know, it was just like, but she recounted in her story about 10 to 12 different times where the, they moved into one time was they moved into a neighborhood and she was in the house unpacking. He was outside cutting the grass and four police cars pulled up. Here he was 12 years old, cutting the grass. And somebody called the cops and said, he doesn't belong in this neighborhood. And she just said, she just recounted story after story after story. And she said, oh my God, like, I did not realize. I mean, I'd heard about these things, but to actually see it in my face is just so, it's traumatic. Yeah, it's fascinating, but that's okay. We're turning a corner. I'm just really, really convinced we are turning a corner and things are going to change. Yeah, I I definitely agree. I think that there is a tide turning and a lot of us can feel it and a lot of us, you know, want to be a part of that. And I wonder, you know, even just, you know, societal structures that we need to think about maybe much differently, but also even our workplaces and the awareness that our workplaces are going to have to make or that shift they're going to have to make from the words and from the intention to the action that needs to happen to help people feel broadly safe and psychologically safe and, and just generally safe in their workplace. You know, it's interesting because you're right. Right now, I am really, really, really busy because organizations are coming to me saying, I know we have a problem because my employees have come and told me we have a problem. <laughs> I didn't realize we had a problem, but I guess, you know, certainly we do. And we don't know where to start. And some of it has to do with having the conversation. And this is where I, this is what I really love doing is just having a conversation with people. A lot of times people want to run in and do diversity training, unconscious bias training. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that where I'm seeing the biggest bang for the buck is to have a conversation. So what that looks like for me is I have a conversation with the leadership team and then we look at 
structures within the organization, like how are they hiring people or how are they mentoring people or who's on your board, who's in your leadership team. And it becomes really apparent when the board is all white and the leadership team is all white and then you have the base of your employees doing the work are all black and brown people. And what people don't understand is you have to change those structures because there's been a lot of data that's been done. Um, I know one came out of the McKinsey report several years ago and other, the Harvard Business Review and uh, lots of other companies have reported on the fact that when you have a more diverse leadership team and input from people who are different, your business impact is different. And whether we like it or not, our society is changing. The world is becoming smaller. Companies need to reflect the communities that they serve in. So I just think that's where people are going now. I saw something recently and I agree, you know, people are not looking for apologies anymore. They want change. Every People are like, we're done. We're done talking about this. We're done researching this. We need to implement changes. And so I work as a strategist and that's what I do. I help organizations make the changes that they need to make that maybe they don't even see. I talked to one woman and she said, you know, I am I am so sorry to say this. I didn't even know that there was such a field called diversity and inclusion. And I said, well, that's probably because you didn't have to know that. But that's not acceptable anymore. You know, now you have to know these things. Yeah, absolutely. And I know it's one of the things that um, I've noticed more and more over the years, even just doing public speaking and, and speaking to different groups about the resources they have available in their organizations. You start to hear more about, mm-hmm. you know, initiatives associated with diversity and inclusion, which I bring in often in relation to team dynamics, important for, you know, good products, but important for innovation, important for building the future. Like, as you, as you mentioned, to represent the people out in, in the world that you serve. But thinking forward to is like organizations shifting into the future and thinking about how they build their future around their people and how that the people that they bring into their organization with various backgrounds, being able to come in and talk about their experience, not have to wear a mask when they come into that organization, not have to pretend to be something that they're not or someone that they're not to feel accepted. That's the next, I think, major paradigm shift that we see in organizations, or I hope that we see in organizations where people walk into their workplace and feel like they can be exactly who they are. Yeah, there's a lot of data out there that says, I mean, there are tons of books that have been written on this topic, but what we have found is that people want to be uniquely themselves, but also want to belong to the group. So they want to belong to the community, but they still want to be able to be themselves, whoever that is, you know? And when we can do that, golly, it's going to be really amazing because as you and I both know, and I'm sure your listeners know this also, the world is moving at a faster pace. Companies that need to be innovative and creative are going to need people to bring all of themselves to work, their best selves to work. And if they're spending a lot of time hiding who they are, it is going to be really, really difficult for them to bring their creativity, their talents, their their superpowers to work. 
I ask all the time, what are my superpowers? And I say, oh, yeah, I know exactly what it is. I know one, but you have honest conversations. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's my passion. That is my passion. You know, I have a woman that mentored me. Her name is Judith Glazer. And I love the statement that she made. And I, it, I carry it in my heart to get to the next level of greatness in your organization uh, depends on the culture of the organization. And the culture of the organization depends on the relationships within the organization. And the relationships depend on the conversations in the organization. Everything starts with the conversation. So if we can have conversations that are authentic, that are truthful, that are forthright, it's amazing what people can do, you know? Absolutely. And just even being honest about our own stories, mm-hmm. experiences, mm-hmm. yeah, being able to share that openly. You know, it's really interesting because I think one of the things that really impacted my life around this whole concept was a long time ago when the space shuttle Challenger blew up. Part of what happened in that scenario was that there were people who knew that this O-ring was defective. It was such a push to get it done. It's like they could not tell their supervisors. They couldn't, they couldn't talk about the problem. And that inability to be able to talk about that problem cost people their lives. So that something shifted in my gut when I thought that is awful that these people had this information and and they could not communicate this. I thought, oh no, no, no. <laughs> we have to we have to have better organizations and teams that can communicate authentically, respectfully, but definitely authentically and, and share what they know. You know, I when I'm working with organizations and teams, I always talk about the fact that it is like this group of people are trying to put a puzzle together. And everyone has a piece of the puzzle. And in order to put it together, we all have to turn our pieces over and put them on the table and try different things to see what's going to work. But that's the only way you can put the puzzle together. I can't put the puzzle together if you, Rebecca, have your piece and you're hiding it behind your back. Got to all do this. Yeah. And it goes back to one of the analogies I like to use around people bringing their Legos. And so if you have a team of people, everyone brings all of their Legos to the table, puts them all out, and you pick out different ones from everybody's piles of Legos. Because the problem always is if you if you have two or three people who share their Legos and other people have their piles and they're not touched, that's when you have a struggle trying to build something that's amazing. Because there's always the power of diversity and inclusion in terms of Legos, like you, you talked about in terms of puzzles, being able to bring little pieces of what everybody has and putting that together to make something amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's think a little bit about what the future might hold. Like you said, you know, we're going through this time of, of transformation. And in many ways, um, it feels like this is a real movement that will affect real change much differently than I had in the past, which is exciting yeah. to think about. Mm-hmm. So what are the things that you think about, you know, obviously it's something that might be something optimistic for you for the future, but what are some of the other things that you're optimistic about uh, for the future? Well, I am just really, really, really fascinated with technology. You know, I really feel like there's, there's just like with everything else, there's some really positive aspects of using technology and the things that we can do today. So I know this sounds really silly, but everyone's on 
you know, these various platforms, Zoom or, you know, Microsoft Teams or, you know, all these different platforms. And um, I actually do a, a, every Friday night a program for people who are home alone, over 50 and home alone. And um, it's called Aging Gracefully Together. And I love it because we have built a virtual community and people love coming together and um, we have speakers come in and it's just, it's a great time. I really look forward to it uh, all the time. But one of the things that I figured out how to do kind of by accident was a close girlfriend of mine moved to North Carolina and I live right outside of Washington, D.C. But for our birthdays, Either she would take me out to dinner for my birthday or I would take her out. But when she moved, we weren't able to do that. Well, she's joined this group with me. And it was hilarious because I figured out the week before her birthday how I could do a virtual surprise party on Zoom. And it was fabulous <laughs> because it started off like we were all working together. I mean, we were all on the call. All the people who are normally on the call were on the call. And we broke into discussion rooms, but I had her family and friends log on after we were in the discussion room. So I put them in another room. But when we all came back together again, we're all talking. And all of a sudden she said, is that my son? (laughs) And then she started seeing all her other family and friends. And it was just like, oh, my God, it was so much fun. Everyone's always talking about how it's not the same as being in the room physically with people. We know this, but for right now, the time that we're in, we really have to get used to using technology. So that was fun. And I'm just really grateful that we have this technology to do these kinds of things. But there's also the dark side to to technology. And without a doubt, we are gonna be moving into artificial intelligence more and more and more, um, there will be some aspects that are really good about that. And there will be some that I'm a little concerned about, um, to, to say the least. Yeah. So what are those things that you're concerned about for the future? So one is the idea that, you know, you remember when well, maybe you don't, I don't know. But I remember when we first started really working on personal computers and the phrase we used to hear all the time was garbage in, garbage out. So how the person who is programming the data or the analytics or the algorithms um, can put together, uh, you know, information that sorts out demographics. And and, and it's not done necessarily as explicitly as that, but it it can be done in such a way where some people are left out of the opportunity, whether it's for uh, applying for a job or I was reading about one scenario where they were saying, right now we have all these online tutoring programs, so you can learn a language or, you know, whatever through digital means. And one was talking about, let's say there's an online tutoring program. Um, But if the tutoring program is only in English, any child who doesn't speak English, if that's not their native language, 
then they miss out on the opportunity to get that tutoring. So right now, there's a a big gap between people who are excelling in their life and people who are kind of being left behind because, A, either they don't have technology in their homes. And stop and think about it. Where are all kids getting their education right now? in their homes. So the fact that some kids don't have a computer in their home, it's got to be really disconcerting for those families and really pushes them, you know, further down the line of, of being able to keep up and to be able to learn and to be able to excel. So that's just one area. Yeah. I think one of the things too, that I think about kind of going back to the diversity inclusion topic is that, you know, tech, let's talk about tech. I mean, it's, it's not a secret that tech companies still even today are struggling with diversity and inclusion. And I wonder what the impact of that will be on the technology of the future. And so if you had an opportunity to sit down with um, a Bill Gates or an Elon Musk and talk to them about the power of diversity, what types of things might you tell them? Well, you know, it's really interesting I'm working out of my home office these days, but I have an office that I go to and across the hall from me is a gentleman that I'm just so awe-inspired by. He is actually teaching first graders through eighth graders how to code. And he has a whole academy. And one day we passed each other in the hallway and we started talking and he had in his program a space for a hundred children to be part of this program. And he was bringing people in for an interview, you know, just to kind of find out about the families and their situations. Did they have computers at home or, you know, to try to make sure that there was a good match so that this kid could be successful. And he said, you know, he was looking to fill a hundred kids in this, in this program, 800 families showed up, 800 family showed up and it just stunned me. He said, oh my God, we were, we were interviewing for days. But the thing that was so amazing is that there were churches, there are a couple of churches that were funneling money in so that these young kids in underserved communities were going to have the opportunity to learn this, get excited and learn it at a very basic level so that it's just sort of very natural. So I would tell Bill Gates, funnel some money in this area. We need girls really involved in STEM programs. We need kids in underrepresented areas to have the opportunity because many of them are really, really bright. They just need access. They just need an opportunity. They just need resources. And if they had those, they would be really able to contribute to great things in the future. Absolutely. But it is interesting to think about that, you know, the importance of bringing in people that have not been a part of the tech community and at, at a larger scale and really just, again, representing the population of people out in the world, because there's a lot of interesting perspectives you bring with that, especially when you talk about kids in underserved communities. What an amazing opportunity to solve challenging problems in those communities through technology. But, you know, I want to I want to address something else here as well. Um, And this is where I think a conversation would be really important. I think it was at Google where there was a gentleman who wrote an article that he did not think that women 
were smart enough to be in this arena. That attitude is a problem. And so just like people need opportunity and access, really someone needs to have a conversation because if this is what people are believing, then that needs to be addressed. That's that's a problem because you can give people the education, you can give them the resources, but if they still can't get a job because people believe that they're less than or aren't going to be as smart or aren't going to be as fluid or whatever, that's a problem. I agree. And I, that always that shook me a little bit when I saw that letter come through from from that gentleman at Google. And one reason why is sometimes we um I think we get comfortable with what's happening around us. So things like that kind of shake us into this reality that someone felt comfortable enough in their position to write this letter. And what does that mean? It, it means that there's something bigger beyond this one person at Google that empowered him to feel the need to write that letter. But the reality is, is there are many successful women in STEM. Many. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how do we get more platform to people that are really making a difference that look much different than the folks that we're used to seeing? And I think that's true of of many different fields beyond just STEM too, or even just related to STEM, such as, you know, futurists. <laughs> futurists too. And I and I think that's one of the things we need to get more people into that conversation. That's one reason why, of course, I, you know, I talk about a lot. It's one reason why I do the podcast, get more people involved in the future, the conversation about the future. A lot of it does come back to, you know, one of the things that you talked about too, through this conversation and just in general in life, the importance of having honest and meaningful conversations, find common values, build connections across differences, and really start to be honest with one another so we can see each other for exactly who we are and what we bring and be happy with those differences and value those differences and appreciate also the things that we have in common. You know, it's really interesting because... Beyonce made this statement, but I don't think she was the person who originally stated it because the way she stated it was, I have heard that racism is such an intrinsic part of American culture that when you tack racism, it is almost like you're attacking America. And that's a really profound statement. And I think what happens is, you know, uh, in some of the training that I do. One visual that I use is it's a picture of two fish swimming upstream, two younger fish, and one older fish swimming downstream. And the older fish says to the the younger fish, hey, fellas, um, how's the water? And they just look at him kind of odd, and they continue to swim off, and they look at each other, and one says, what's water? And so the problem is when you are used to being with people who are just like you, look like you, talk like you, act like you, believe the things you believe, it is so entrenched you don't realize that there's anything different. You don't realize uh, that you're missing out. It was so funny. A, A cartoon that I saw recently was a panel interviewing panel of men. They were all white men. There must have been 14 white men sitting behind this long table. And there was a woman, uh, a black woman sitting in a chair. And so one person says, so just what do you think you can bring to this team? And I just cracked up laughing because that's the problem. They don't even know. They don't even know that they're missing out on the opportunity to hear from a woman's perspective, to hear from a woman of color's perspective, 
that might be radically different and really might help the organization innovate, be creative differently. So it's fascinating. It's just fascinating. So yes, there's work that needs to be done. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But I, I think it's uh, so many opportunities then too. So many opportunities for improvement and for us to learn and grow as people, as organizations, as teams, as society. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think what I'm, what is really exciting is for a lot of us who have been doing this work for a while, we have felt like we had to go knock down doors. Like we trying to help people understand you're not seeing the whole picture here. And now people are saying, I'm not seeing the whole picture here. <laughs> There's something I'm not understanding. There's, I need help with this because I'm not really understanding exactly what's going on here and why this is happening. Mm. And some people are genuinely sincere. They really don't understand what's going on, but that's because they have been uneducated about so many different things. And I'm not putting them down. It's just, it, it is what it is. Yeah. So that's, again, the, the importance of having these honest conversations, because then we can learn from one another and understand different experiences. Yes. Right. And sometimes, you know, it's one of the things that I know that I've experienced is feeling a little bit of pain based on understanding what other people are going through is profound mm -hmm. and difficult. Yeah. And it's hard to kind of sit with it. Um, and I've always challenged myself over time because I think, I mean, I guess my, you know, my original awareness thinking about when I was in college as a sociology major and attending a class that was about uh, inner city schools and writing a paper on that experience and the difference that people experience in those, in those communities versus what I experienced, you know, growing up in my community, it was a wake up call. And I'll have to say it's taken many years for me to continue that understanding about what other people experience that's different than me. And that's not just my experience as a white woman coming from a middle-class family, living a mostly middle-class experience and have, having some you know challenges in life myself, but coming out of that and thinking about all the different people that are out in the world, having all these different experiences and really trying to understand and empathize that that experience is so much different than mine for many reasons. And that's not threatening to me right. <laughs> or yeah. my experience. This is nothing against me and my experience and my challenges in life, but rather helps me understand the other perspectives that people live and how understanding those perspectives or allowing those perspectives to have a voice in the world, how that really enriches all of us. You know, it was very interesting. One time I was participating in a conversation about race. And the facilitator said, I'd like to create a safe space here for people to say what they need to say and let's be respectful and let's, you know, let's make this safe for everyone. And it was a diverse group. And there was a black female who uh, works in the inner city and she works with children, young kids in theater around dealing with racial oppression. And at one point she was talking and her voice elevated an octave. Mm. She wasn't angry. She wasn't screaming. She wasn't fussing. She just, she just got excited. Her voice went up and there was a white woman in the group who said, wait, 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 I am feeling unsafe. And boy, did that trigger this black woman. She went off. We were in downtown Washington, D.C. at this workshop. And on Saturdays, you still have to pay the parking meters. 
So we were, she was referring to the fact that when she went out at lunchtime, because she has very brown skin, she said, even walking to, to pay the parking meter, I don't feel safe. I don't feel safe in my skin any day of any week of any years. And I've carried this all my life. And you can't sit here with me for five minutes and feel a little uncomfortable. You're not unsafe here. You're just uncomfortable. And she, at this point, she was screaming. But the good thing is, is that this white female was a, is a psychologist. Mm. And they talked afterwards. And the psychologist agreed to come to her theater group and help her with her students. So it turned out to be a great experience. But in the moment, it was uncomfortable. And so one of the things that, you know, I try to help people understand is there's a difference between being uncomfortable and being unsafe. And that's, that's a really important distinction to make. Yeah, I think that's that's critically important. And and one of the things that really makes empathy so powerful is being able to feel that um, release. And I think a lot of us have seen a lot of that lately out mm-hmm. in the world, of course, um, on social media. That is an outpouring of frustration that's built up over many years. Um, and now finally, the floodgates are opening, I think at the end of the day, it is uncomfortable for a lot of people, but I think it's also powerful and important for those floodgates to open because that leads to what we were talking about before, more psychological safety and people um, being able to come out and talk about their experiences in different ways and people start to listen and understand a little bit more. And I do think that it, it does actually lead to healing mm. um, when people can let go, release, be heard, be comforted, and um, yeah, I think that's what starts the healing process. And I think everyone or most people want to heal. Most people want to fix the problem and for people to live together harmoniously. That's what most people, not everyone. I don't think everyone wants that, but, <laughs> but I do think most people want that. Yeah, yeah. there are problem avoiders. They want to deal with it. It's too uncomfortable. I don't want but um, if you're willing to, to to live in that discomfort for a moment, then to your point, you leads to actual healing, mm-hmm. and healing is so powerful. Yeah, I think it's 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 critically important. I mean, we really want to leave our children and grandchildren a different world. You know, this can't continue to go on the way it's been going on for centuries. I mean, this is just it's not acceptable anymore. And I think so many people have thrown the gauntlet down. Enough is enough. And it's just, um, it's just the, like you say, just not to oversimplify. It's the right thing to do. Absolutely. It's the right thing to do. Yeah. So let's, um, this has been a great conversation. Um, I would love to know any final thoughts or maybe a call to action. If you could give the listeners a call to action, what would that be? You know, I just, I say, I I really want to echo what you just said, which is, There are tons of resources on every social media platform you can find. I would really encourage people to watch on Netflix the documentary. You have to find it in the documentary section, a movie called 13th. It's really important. It's about the 13th Amendment. And um, there is another one that was done by James Baldwin. It's called I'm Not Your Negro. That's a really good movie. And it it just gives people some historical perspective um, and some fascinating, just really fascinating. And then there's a third 
movie that I had been avoiding watching because I was really afraid it was going to end differently um, than I thought. But it's called a movie called Just Mercy. And it's a true story about Brian Stevenson, who was a lawyer uh, that went to Harvard, black man who went to Harvard and went into a small southern town and helped a lot of men who were on death row, many of whom did not commit the crimes that they were being charged for. Um, and it's so amazing because I've seen a ton of social media platforms on a ton of media, social media platforms uh, where there are a lot of groups that are raising money for this gentleman's um, social justice initiative, which I think is awesome. So I would say go watch 13th, go watch um, I'm Not Your Negro or Just Mercy, or you can always make a contribution to Black Lives Matter, or you can make a contribution to the Social Justice Initiative. Fantastic. So I'm going to put those links out in the episode notes and so they can find those resources very easily. Thank you for those recommendations. And I just wanted to say, too, I've been thinking a lot about this for people who do the work that you do in diversity and inclusion, and you've been doing it for many years. And one of the things you mentioned a little bit back in this conversation is that you feel like you've had to kind of pound on doors to really get people to pay attention to the importance of this. And what I wanted to say is that I feel like all of those years are paying off now that that has led to this point where people are able to open their hearts a little bit more. Because over time, of course, we hear more and more of those messages from folks like you. Uh, it gets us more and more aware and brings us to this moment. So I think you're one of those kind of heroes behind the scenes over many years that have led us here. So thank you for the work that you have done. Thank you for the work you continue to do. Thank you for having honest conversations with people. Thanks for setting a tremendous example for all of us in just being able to, to open our hearts and open our minds to hear what other people have to say about their experiences and build true connections that bring us into that future that we envision uh, that's a little bit brighter. So thank you. So Rebecca, I just want to say thank you for giving me a platform to share my thoughts and experiences and feelings. It is really important. We need to elevate everyone's voice. This is a really important time and we don't want to miss this. We want to be part of the solution to really making this country what it can be. So thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this. Fantastic. I've enjoyed it too. Thank you. We are living through unique and challenging times. However, with this challenge comes tremendous opportunity. Our society is experiencing a wake-up call in relation to race and social injustice, and people and organizations across the United States and across the world are answering that call. Over the past several years, employers have become increasingly aware of the importance of diversity and inclusion. According to the 2019 McKinsey & Company's Diversity Wins, How Inclusion Matters report, ethically diverse companies financially outperform others by up to 36%. But beyond the obvious business advantages, skilled employees will continue to demand environments where they can bring their full selves to work. This, coupled with a healthy dose of psychological safety, will bring forth more ideas, better collaboration, and, of course, more innovation. According to a survey by Boston Consulting Group, Companies with above-average diversity experience a greater proportion of revenue from innovation. 
up to 45%. And, of course, there's the reason that needs no report to confirm. It's just the right thing to do. Let's look beyond the workplace for a moment. The reality is that issues of race exist across our society, and we have the ability to shape a better future for all of us. There is no reason for this to be a political issue any longer, but rather one that allows our nation to meet its full potential, where we the people can hold ourselves accountable to the truths that our Declaration of Independence declare as self-evident, that all men are created equal, and in today's terms, it is certainly fair to apply this intent beyond all men to all people. As Christina mentions, now is the time for all of us to be a part of the solution here in the United States, and also around the world. Our past does not define us, and our current time provides us with a powerful catalyst for change. And the future? Well, it's what we make of it. So, go on. Go help shape the future. To learn more about Christina and her amazing work, reach out to her at dnistrategist.com. That's dnistrategist.com. I am Rebecca Scott, and this has been Humans Now and Then, hosted and produced by Rebecca Scott. Music by Ryan Sullivan, Rebecca Scott, and Victoria Scott. Credits and resources from this episode can be found in the episode notes at humansnowandthen.com.